This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. For this edition of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with Ace Freely, Dennis Quaid, and Sophia Bush. First up are highlights from my chat with Ace Freely, the founding Kiss guitarist whose new album Spaceman is now out through Entertainment One Music. It features the singles Bronx Boy and Rockin' with the Boys, in addition to a great cover of I Wanna Go Back, which Eddie Money first made a big hit in the 1980s. Ace, how's it going there? Hi. So I want to first ask you some questions about Spaceman, if that's okay. Oh, yes. Please do. So how many songs did you write for the album? Well, I, I wrote or co-wrote eight out of the nine songs. It's nine songs on the album, and one of them is a cover by Eddie Money. You wrote nine knowing that there was going to be nine or ten songs on the album? Well, I, I thought I was a little superstitious because it was the 40th anniversary of my solo album that had New York Groove on it, and that album only had nine songs, so I thought I'd... Uh... When, when you started writing the album, did you know all along that you were going to be singing lead on all the songs? Yeah. Got it. Um, so do you have a favorite song on the new album? <laughs> well, I'm real happy with the way the ones, the two that me and Gene wrote. You know, Bronx Boys is a lot of fun. Rockin' with the Boys is, is a good anthem. And... Uh, I'm really, really happy with the Eddie Money cover. I want to go back. Have you already started thinking about another album? I'm already working on Origins Volume 2. If it's Origins Volume 2, does that mean it's covers? Yeah. Paul Concept Fine Origins Volume 1 was a redo song from bands that influenced me, you know, on my formative years as a guitarist. So I'm going to try to stay true to that concept with Orson's Vine, too, as well. Got it. Now, speaking of guitar, I read that you don't play every day. Is that true? Yeah. I haven't picked up a guitar since I got home from tour. <laughs> I got, my daughter's correcting me. <laughs> uh, so you have picked up the guitar since coming home from tour? Yeah. Yeah, well, I had bought, I had bought three guitars in pawn shops while I was on tour, so when they got here, I... I pulled them out of the boxes and, uh, and played them ten or fifteen minutes. But I normally don't play play that much unless I have an idea. You know, I don't normally sing. I never do warm up vocals. I just do it. You know, same thing when when I perform live. You know, a lot of times I get to the gig five or ten minutes before I go on. I just walk out and do it. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I am. Well, what are some of the things that you're passionate about that you like to do every day or almost every day? Eat. <laughs> yeah, I eat. I, I drink coffee, you know, run errands, you know. I like to drive my Bentley or my Jaguar around. I, I have read, though, that you're a, a technology freak in terms of knowing how to actually build computers. What was your first computer? My first computer was a... Actually, a radio shack, 4K computer. And then uh, I bought, uh, you know, Mac, the first Mac that came out. 
had a couple of those, and then I got a deal with uh, Zenith Computers, and uh, they gave me a hundred thousand dollars to promote their laptop series, and they gave me probably twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars worth of PCs. And after working with them for a year or two, I realized I like Macs better. So uh, I traded in a lot of the PCs for Macs. I've been a Mac person ever since. The early Macs, you were allowed to customize a lot. You know, you could switch, uh, you could switch processes. You know, there were chips that you could buy. You could overclock uh, your processes. Because I got involved in, in animation, you know, in the 80s. So, uh, you know, you want to improve rendering time, you know, for uh, your animations. So you can do anything to speed up the processes. So I used to overclock them and put extra fans on them because they heat up and add the maximum amount of memory and stuff like that. But, you know, the new Macs really don't allow you to customize as much as the old Macs. Well, is Ace and the Whole Studio a, a di- totally digital studio? Well, you know, 95% of the people who make records today record the, the stuff from Pro Tools digitally. But, you know, the whole pro, the whole uh, idea of getting a vintage sound is to use vintage microphones, use vintage amps, and vintage preamps prior to sending it into the computer. So that's what I try to do. You know, I use old guitars, old microphones. And that's how I get, you know, more of a vintage sound on my guitar and vocals and everything else. Got it. Uh, so two to three weeks ago, you were on a cruise. Was that the first cruise you'd ever taken? No, I did a, a, a cruise about uh, two, two and a half years ago. It was a Rock Legends cruise with Greg Allman and Peter Frampton and several other bands. The, the ship was actually about twice the size of the one that uh, I just did with Kiss. The name of the boat was Independence of the State. I think it's the biggest cruise ship in the world. Well, is it enjoyable at all for you to be on a cruise, or is it just work? Right, no, you can relax and, you know, sit out on the deck and um, watch the ocean. Stop in the Bahamas and gamble at the casino of Atlantis in the Bahamas and did some shopping. So, you know, it was actually more fun than work because I only had to do three concerts, you know, 60, 70-minute shows. So, you know, it wasn't a bad gig at all. And another thing I'm curious about with relation to you is you've obviously uh, influenced multiple generations of guitar players. And I remember when the band Weezer specifically talked about you in one of their songs. When did you first know that you had uh, inspired a new generation of guitarists? Well, when guitarists started coming up to me and telling that, telling me that, you know, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have picked up the guitar, you know. That kind of started happening in the 80s, and it's been happening ever since, and more frequently now than ever before. Do you remember that specific Weezer reference, or did you ever meet any members from Weezer? Yeah, I've met everybody, just about. So your uh, your book came out seven years ago, and you've done a lot in those last seven years. Have you thought about doing another book? Yeah, I've already started writing it. Working Tide was no regrets, too. So you have another record in the works and another book in the works. Is there anything I missed? Are there other projects, too? Uh, there's a lot of things going on. You know, I'm doing an Ace Expo with 
in December in New Jersey where I'm going to perform my 78 solo album in its entirety. It's going to be a three-day event. I have shows scheduled for you. California in January. I'm taking the holidays off. And, uh, yeah, but I, I have an action figure uh, deal uh, in the works. There's a, a whole bunch of stuff. Some of the stuff I can't talk about because there's contracts haven't been signed yet. There's a lot going on. <laughs> so, Trust me. So it sounds like you have so much going on that, you know, you're not at all waiting around for the Kiss reunion, which most people don't realize that you just have so many projects. Well, I think Kiss has already let, let, uh, let the cat out of the bag, you know, that they're promoting Tommy Taylor as the guitar player and on the end of the road tour. So, you know, I'm not waiting around for them to change their minds. You know, I've been offered a ton of concerts in Europe, you know, the festivals. You know, I, Kiss hasn't said anything, anything to me. They didn't talk to me on the cruise about it. So, you know, I'm assuming that that's not going to be part of my schedule in the future. You know, and as I've said in previous interviews, the only way I would do it is uh, to reclaim my character that I created from Tommy Thayer and, you know, be the real ace, the real spaceman, the one and only. Sure. So three more quick questions and you're a free man, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Okay. So uh, ultimately, is there something that you wish more people knew about you? Because people know you as a guitar god that makes music, but you know, you're kind of a private person. I like my privacy. I've been offered reality shows, but I've turned them down. You know, I, I really enjoy my privacy. When I come home off the road, I like to just be with my family, you know, and enjoy my private life. You know, I, you know, a guy like Gene Simmons, he's, he's, a, he's a workaholic. He's going 24-7. He wakes up every morning and he's on the phone trying to make deals. So for him to do a reality show made, made perfect sense. But, you know, Paul's pretty much a private person, and uh, so am I, and I believe Peter is as well. So none of the other founding members of KISS has ever done a reality. True. And uh, the Bronx plays into your new album. How often do you get back to the Bronx? Not very often, but when I do, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I go back to places I used to hang out in, past my old high school, and... Uh, you know, actually, a couple of years ago, I did a piece for the Village Voice where they actually made me go back to all the places I used to hang out, and I showed them my old high school, and uh, they took photographs of me on the playground and all sorts of crazy stuff, and that was a lot of fun. It might have been the last time I went to the <laughs> Well, uh, as the song goes, you want to go back. Because about the Eddie Money song? Yeah, sorry, bad joke. Well, I mean, that song just, you know, I hadn't heard that song in a long time, and I was laying in bed with Rachel watching videos, and that song, we, you know, we listened to Two Tickets to Paradise, which was, I think, A Money's first big hit, and then uh, that song came on, and it just, like, I identified with the video so much, you know, in the video, it shows him going back to his old high school and uh, driving around his old neighborhood, and... Uh, I identified with it, and then I, you know, I listened to the lyrics, and the song is so well written. You know, the, the guys, the guys that wrote that song are better writers than I am. They appreciate that song. So, so, in closing, any last words for the kids? Excuse me. 
Uh, any last words for the kids? Any last words for the kids? Keep believing in Ace. <laughs> I don't think I've let my fans down, you know. I think all, all the records have been very well received over the last, what was it, seven, eight years since I started working again in a sense. And, uh, you know, I've been sober now 12. It's changed my life dramatically, maybe more productive, more creative. So life's good today. Next up are highlights of my chat with the leader of Dennis Quaid and the Sharks, Dennis Quaid. Yes, that Dennis Quaid, the legendary actor. His new album, Out of the Box, was executive produced by T-Bone Burnett, and it came out on November 30th. He was as awesome as you would hope him to be. Your new album is Out of the Box. How long did you spend making it? I'd say it was over a six, seven-month period that we uh, that we were doing basic tracks. It was like May, uh, May 2017 to uh, December. And did you know outright that it was going to be a mix of covers and originals? Yes, it did. A few of them I wrote during the making of the album, and uh, but most of them uh, were uh, written before, and uh, we did 25 tracks and came up with uh, what we think is the best 13 for the album. And do you remember which song that you wrote first? The song I wrote first, um, I'm trying to go through them now. I think uh, the first one I'm in love was probably, yeah, it was probably the first song. Hmm. Actually, uh, it was Good Man, Bad Boy. That was written back in uh, 1988. I wrote that because I was, uh, Booker T. Lowry was an old black blues piano player. It was uh, doing some of the music for Great Balls of Fire. I actually came and lived with me for about three months, and I kind of studied him. He was the best, one of the best players I've ever uh, been around and spite of the fact that he was missing a finger on one hand, on his left hand. Wow, so 1988, you said 30 years ago. Do you write very often, or is that just a fluke that it was that long? No, I write, uh, I pretty much write all the time. I've been doing it since I was 12 years old, and uh, that's when I got my first guitar. And I think I took the writing as a defense because I was never going to be able to shred a guitar. And uh, I was a rhythm player. You know, as a teenager in, in my room, uh, you know, my par- both my parents worked. And I just, I just took to writing. It was kind of a natural thing for me, and that's always been with me. Did you come from a musical family, or are you the first? I, yeah, I guess so. My dad played piano, and uh, so was my grandmother. My third cousin is Gene Autry, who wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So, uh I guess I do come from a kind of a musical family. And did you know all along that T-Bone would be working on the album with you, or did you decide to make an album first? Well, I T-Bone is not the producer on the album. Just uh, get that clear, because I think it's been kind of unclear. T, uh, T-Bone was, has been a good friend of mine for over 40 years, and he was a great facilitator. I'd been, uh, he and I were, were playing golf, actually, and... Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the band, the Sharks. We'd had a four-year hiatus, and we were just getting back into it. I, all my life, I've been wanting to make a real record and uh, really get serious about it. We'd made uh, recordings before, you know, to sell CDs at shows and stuff like that, but I wanted to make a real record. And uh, he was he loaned us his engineer, Mike Prisante, who's just about a co-producer, really, on the album. And... Uh, set us up over at the village. 
Right. So will there be a touring in support of this new album? Yeah, we're going to start that, I would guess, after the first of the year. We're going to start touring with it. And we did about 40 dates uh, last year. We're going to at least double that this coming year, if not, you know, if not more. Really kind of building my my on-screen life around my music life rather than the other way around now because I can devote more time to it. That leads me to ask, as somebody who, in my opinion, is one of the top actors of all time, you know, you're doing independently oh, released recordings. So what do you look for in terms of success with your music or is just getting the music out there the success into itself? You know, number one hit on the radio with a bullet. <laughs> I mean, that's our alpha. We're going to be the oldest guys to make it in rock and roll. That's our mantra. We, uh, we're looking around uh, for you know, someone that uh, was a good fit for us. And I like these guys at Omnivore. You know, they come from uh, uh, the record business. They, they started this smaller company, record company, because uh, they kind of got disenchanted with the, music, with the record business themselves. They were doing what they love to do. And uh, so they, uh, they started their own, and uh, they feel like a good fit for us. We're the only live live band i think it is right now yeah i was going to ask about that because i know that they work a lot with the big star estate um were there particular yeah. artists in their roster that you went man if you can work with them we we will happily be on your label well yeah some of the bands that they worked with you know for remastering and stuff like that that great and then they did a, a hank williams uh remastering of you know all of his stuff so they're they have their fingers they understand our music which is uh which is a big attraction for, for us. Now, going back a little bit, what were the bands or the artists that made you want to pick up a guitar in the first place? Well, the first song I tried to learn how to play was Light My Fire by The Doors, you know. And, uh, of course, it's a little bit more complicated than if somebody's just picking up a guitar. So that didn't work out too well. But be like The Doors, The Beatles, but... Uh, more than that, the first person I heard uh, on the radio I, that I can remember was Hank Williams. Hank Williams, Elvis, Buddy Holly. Did you ever have a punk phase or go that route? Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I've uh, had all kinds of influences in my in music, and I, I have yeah, I, I like all kinds of music as long as it's good. <laughs> so, I think that's reflected in uh, the music by the Sharks too. You know, I was I liked. Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and those guys, you know, the Rat Pack growing up, because my dad was, he was kind of a crooner around the house. So I was exposed to a lot of different things in Texas. Right. Now, up. now, on the other side of your professional existence is, of course, your acting. And something I'm just very intrigued about is I believe you've done more roles in sports movies than anyone else. Is that by design or were you originally an athlete? Uh, I was not an athlete. That's probably why I was too small to be uh, too small for the football team. Of course, you try out at the rite of passage in Texas, and that's how I wound up at the drama room, <laughs> actually. But you know, played a lot of uh, had a lot of sports movies since then. I think there's a couple other guys that have probably done more sports movies than me, but uh, I've done quite a few playing coach and football and baseball. And, uh, uh, I believe football yeah. quarterback and bike racing. Yeah, that's right. And also breaking away, I guess that was a sport, although you know, I wasn't the guy that was doing that. I, 
I'm a cyclist now. I mean, I was a runner back then. And then I've also read that you're a Houston Astros fan. Is that just a product of uh, growing up in Texas? Absolutely. I mean, I was an Astro fan uh, when they were the Colt 45s you know, before uh, they turned the Astros. And, um, you know, the Astrodome and all that stuff. And, uh, so, you know, it was a lot of pain for a lot of years. But finally, they got a great team. Right. The, the best team with the lowest payroll, is it? Uh, I would guess so. Yeah, it sounds like Houston. <laughs> now, you mentioned... The um, same way it was for the Oilers, you know? Yeah, I was a big Oilers fan until they, uh, until that game with Buffalo. <laughs> right. But you mentioned before, Great Balls of Fire. Is it your goal to do more music-themed uh, projects in terms of the film world, or do you just hope to keep your career separate? Well, but, uh, it could be both ways. You know, I, don't, I try not to... Uh, put anything in stone or, or make up big rules for myself. And I've always done uh, both, actually. I, mean, I did the uh, first foray into that was uh, the night the lights went out in Georgia. I was like 26. And I got a couple of songs on that record. I got a, I did uh, Closer to You, which I wrote in New Orleans when I was doing the Big Easy and uh, cut it with the Neville Brothers while, while we were down there. And had, uh I've had about two or three songs in other films as well. So it, it, they've kind of, uh, you know, crossed paths many times in my life. But I'm really, uh, as far as the, just music right now, I've really kind of separated that out and made that my focus. Right. Uh, I believe another one of those films is I Can Only Imagine that you had some um, music right. in. Were, were you specifically asked to write for the soundtrack or someone just said, hey, Dennis has got a song? No, it was actually a song I wrote for my mother back in, I think I wrote that song on my way to heaven uh, about 1990, 1991. I wrote it for my mother. It was kind of where I was in life at that time. I, you know, come out of, come out of cocaine from the 80s, you know, and uh, had that monkey off my back. And uh, it was kind of where I was in life at that time. But I... Never had a break for it. So the song was not really finished. And uh, so when I did uh, that movie, I Can Only Imagine, which was about a son who writes a song for his father, it just came to me. The bridge came to me like almost 30 years later. <laughs> and uh, there it was. So if I'm noticing a pattern here, if you write a song, it just a couple of decades later might get recorded. Maybe so. You never know. Uh they're like that, you know, they kind of come back to you, like picking <laughs> up a relationship again. Sure. So ultimately, is there something that you wish more people knew about you besides being, you know, a top actor and a prolific musician? <laughs> uh, uh, not really. I'm just myself, you know, um, I think the way to do it is like with, is with deeds rather than, uh, than uh, doubting myself about it. But, uh, you know, music, I guess... Music, actually, if there was anything, I guess it's music has really kind of been my, it's been my number one love, really, um, all my life. It's, uh, you know, so it's always been with me. It's only been acting and uh, just love doing it. Right on. So any last words for the kids? Well, for the kids? For the uh, kids. For the kids, it's uh, find something you love to do in life and then figure out how, uh, how to get paid for it. <laughs> Finally... Here's my chat with actress and philanthropist Sophia Bush, who you most likely know from One Tree Hill, Chicago PD, and The Incredibles 2. 
Sophia was very involved with this year's Giving Tuesday in collaboration with PayPal, which she spoke about during our Q&A. How did the opportunity to be part of Giving Tuesday first come about? I do so much work in philanthropy and advocacy, and apparently I use my PayPal account a lot because they reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to work with us on our Giving Tuesday push? And in 2017, last year, it was our first year working together, and we raised $64 million for charity. So it's certainly one of the most effective fundraising initiatives I've ever worked on, and I'm just absolutely thrilled to be doing it again this year, and I'm really hoping that we can beat last year's number. So what do you like most about the Giving Tuesday cause? I think Giving Tuesday is meaningful because in a holiday season that can often get a bit overwhelming and stressful, Giving Tuesday reminds us that really our focus should be on our community, on our country, on giving back. And that all feels like a really important reminder. And the easiest way to get moving on your own giving back is to head to paypal.com slash giveback and search any charity you like or look through the suggested list of charities there. You can search on topics in cities and figure out where you want to donate. On Giving Tuesday, PayPal matches 100% of donations up to half a million dollars. So that means we could raise a million dollars today. And tomorrow, all the way through the end of the year, PayPal matches 1% of every charitable donation. And that's how we wind up raising as much money as we did last year. So aside from Giving Tuesday, what are you currently working on? Oh, so many things. We had a lot of advocacy going around the election, making sure communities felt engaged, voters were registered. That was all very, very exciting. And on my own personal work front, I am in pre-production on a pilot that I've been developing this year. We're just about to start filming, and I can't wait for you all to see it. Is there anything you haven't yet accomplished in your career that you one day hope to? I think there's always things that we we add to the list, you know? Once you achieve a goal, you immediately set a new one. So for me, this year, to be stepping into a role not only as an actor, but a producer on my next series, uh, which is called Surveillance, feels very exciting to me. Being involved in the casting process and set building and all of that, it's, it's really been exceptional. So here we go. So is there a career accomplishment of yours that you're most proud of, Sophia? I would probably say the exact same one. <laughs> uh, probably that and, and voicing a superhero in Incredibles 2. That was a bucket list item for sure. So what do you wish more people knew about Sophia Bush? Oh gosh, uh, nothing. I wish more people knew that they have the power to change the world and they can be great givers and that they can be just as civically engaged and excited about their communities as this weirdo. So as a music-centric writer and, and all that, I have to ask you, what was the last concert you attended for fun? Uh, the last concert that I went to, oh gosh, I can't think if it was, I don't know which one was first, if it was Beyonce and Jay-Z on the run too, or if it was Troy Sivan. I've seen them both recently, and I don't remember which was the most recent, but one of the two. So finally, Sophia, any last words for the kids? Just know that you have the power. You don't have to wait until you're grown up to change the world. You can start now. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. 
Until next time, have a great Shabbos.